Let's give him one more clap offering. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you, God. We don't clap for what's happening here, but we clap for you. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We've gathered today to listen to the voice of our Lord and Savior through the study of your word. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this worship. And we clap for you. We sing for you. We worship for you. And, Lord, we study your word so that we can hear from you. For we love you. And it's in the mighty and wonderful and victorious, awesome, eternal, powerful name, Jesus, that we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We are going to be uh, looking at chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. But what I would like to do is read the first six verses so we kind of get in our minds oriented the direction that Scripture is taking us in our study this morning. So let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 10. I'll read verses 1 through 6. It says, Jesus summoned his disciples, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word as we study Matthew, the first half of Matthew chapter 10. Father, teach us this morning. Let just your word soak into our hearts, soak into our minds, and let us be refreshed. And let us be washed by the word and renewed in our love and our commitment to you. For we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So the title of my message this morning is The Call to be a disciple. And this is going to be a very challenging message. There's a lot of challenging verses in here that's really going to press our buttons. That's really going to um, press us forward in our walk with Christ. But if you think this morning is challenging, wait till next Sunday morning. Next Sunday morning is going to be the cost of being a disciple. There is a cost of being a disciple. Yes, salvation is a free gift. Uh, it's, it's completely a free gift of God. Uh, as Paul says in, in Romans chapter 6, uh, but there's a cost. There's a cost in following Christ when we give our lives to him. And we'll look at that next week. But today we're looking at the call to be a disciple. The call. Um, the call to be a disciple is not just for Christians who are serious about their faith, okay? The call to be a disciple is for everyone who calls themselves a Christian. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls you by his word to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ. A disciple of Jesus, he, he or she, they learn from Jesus, they follow Jesus, and they answer the call 
to be a disciple. You know, we're getting off in today's culture, in today's world in the church. You know, church, uh, Christianity is more than just going to church on Sunday. It's learning from the master. It's learning from the word. And it's conforming your life to who he is and to his word. And what's really cool about disciple so that you have a good understanding of the theology of disciple is we're going to look this morning at where it all started. This is where it all started. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. This is where it all began. Let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So here Jesus calls his 12 disciples and he says, all right, guys, it's time to go out. It's time to go out and represent me. Remember what we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 9? What did we look at? We looked at five miracles. Jesus was going out preaching the kingdom, healing the sick, healing the lepers, healing men that were blind. And now in his ministry to Israel, he's coming and he's sending out his disciples. And he says to them, I'm going to give you everything you need. Jesus gives them authority over evil spirits and to heal every disease and every sickness. So he's sending them out. He summoned them. He called them. He's given them his authority. And now they are going out to Israel. Let's pick it up at verse 2 where he names the 12 disciples. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. I find this interesting. If you know anything about the disciples, these men were not teachers of the law, okay? They were not teachers of the law. They were not men of high renown, okay? These were, the, these were the, at the bottom of the barrel men there in the land of Israel. These weren't the, the prestigious people in the religious institution or the government institution. You have three fishermen, a tax collector, a doubter. One was once a disciple of John the Baptist, that's Andrew. And one who would even betray the Lord Jesus. God chose 12 ordinary Men from Galilee. Today, you and I would look at these men, the world would call these men just your average Joe. These were not special men. These were men that the Lord Jesus Christ, in his omniscience, in his omnipotence, in his sovereignty, he saw through their hearts, he saw who they were, and he summoned them, as verse 1 said. He called them to himself. Jesus chose them to demonstrate his power. To demonstrate his power in any person willing to follow him. They were nobody. They were nobodies in the eyes of the world. And in many cases, that's how people see us as Christians. They're nobodies in the eyes of the world. You know, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. The simple-hearted believers who trust in their creator who trust in their God to do great and mighty things. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world 
to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. Paul says here in this passage that uh, they, they, they weren't considered wise. They weren't considered wise. And I would add to that in the eyes of the world. They were not considered mighty, verse 26. And I would add to that, not in the sight of the world. They were not considered noble. They weren't prestigious men. A tax collector. Matthew was the tax collector. The Jews hated tax collectors because the tax collectors in Capernaum, what they did is they took the the tax from the Jewish people to give to the Roman government. And the Jewish people back in that day uh, didn't like that because Rome was overtaxing them. They were despised. But God chose these men and he called them despite they were not wise, mighty, or noble. You know, God does not today, application, verse, the, the, the passage on, on the disciples, God does not care about how popular you are. God does not care about your education. God greatly uses men and women who are completely committed to him. Are you completely committed to Christ? Not are you completely committed to Calvary Chapel or committed to your church, but when it comes to faith and spiritual things, are you completely committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what a disciple is. Come hell or high water. I don't care what happens in this life. I don't care who's with me, who's against me. I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus. That is discipleship. That is the heart. And that is the heart that, that I feel like I'm at, and I want to continue to stay there, and I want to always make sure I'm there, but I also want to make sure my brothers and sisters are there too. That you're committed to Jesus, the one who gave, gave his life for you at the cross. So that's the 12 disciples, men of low esteem but used mightily. Verse 5 and 6, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. He says, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now Jesus gives them, he gives his disciples a specific mission. And what's that specific mission? The house of Israel. The house of Israel. It says right there in verse 6, he sent them to the house of Israel. What you need to understand is Israel and the church are not the same. We do not believe here in replacement theology. We do not believe that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. We believe in accordance with Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that God has a special plan for the nation of Israel. Okay, they rejected Israel, they crucified him, now we're in the church age. But one day, at the rapture of the church, God is going to turn his attention back to the nation of Israel. We call it the tribulation period. He's going to bring great revival and he's going to bring them back to him. But why does, uh, just a quick summary there of of what we are not, you know, and, and, and the doctrine of Israel and the church, Uh, But why? Why did they go to the house of Israel? Because the gospel was first for the nation of Israel. You need to understand that. Then the world, okay? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1.16. Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Here it is, guys. Look at it in your Bible. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Now, Jesus came for the whole entire world. Okay, He came for all people groups, all people that live on planet Earth. 
but Israel was the apple and is the apple of his eye. You can find that in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8. But God in Scripture makes a clear distinction between Israel and the church. God loves them both. God loves Israel. God loves the church. Jesus died for Israel. Jesus died for the church. But if, we, if you know anything about history, you know anything about the Bible, what happened? Israel rejected Jesus. So what God did to help you understand it in your mind is God took the nation of Israel, and all he did is he put them on the shelf. He, he put them on the shelf, and now we are in the church age. But one day, God will turn his attention back to them. And if you doubt that, just look at Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans eleven twenty-five says this. Paul says, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We are living in the fullness of the Gentiles. We are living in the church age, but one day he will turn his attention back to them. So here we have it. Let's look at verse 7. Um, he's directed the disciples. The disciples are focused on Israel. Let's go back to the first century. Um, Verse 7, he says, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. First off, man, when I look at verse 7, man, that just brings a warm fuzzy to my heart, if that's the right phrase to use. Who is the kingdom of heaven? You know, we could talk about the theology of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, but when he says... The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who is at hand? Jesus. Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. Everything that you want to know about heaven is found in the person of Jesus. He is the only way to heaven. He is the gatekeeper of heaven. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is the kingdom of heaven. And now, through the supernatural ministries, Miracles, you know what miracles are, right? You know, some people say, well, that was a miracle, talking about something that happened. It's only a miracle if it's scientifically impossible. There's no way it could possibly happen. But miracles do happen. And here Jesus is extending his miracle working power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, and cast out demons. In other words, Jesus, through the disciples, Heaven is invading earth here in his earthly ministry. Now, so he's sending them out. The question we have to ask, and the question, it doesn't, the text doesn't say it, but maybe the disciple says, well, Jesus, how much should we charge? What's the cost? You know, everything in life costs, right? That's what we like to think. There's a cost to everything. And so they, maybe one of them said, what, what, what's, what's it, how much is it going to cost? Look at what he says in verse, actually halfway through verse 8. He says, Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Jesus is saying here in verses 8, 9, and 10 is uh, don't charge anything. Don't, don't charge Don't charge anything. Don't ask anybody for anything. You simply preach Jesus. And that should be our heart in evangelism. 
is we're not here to take stuff from people or what it, what's in it for us as Christians. We are here to share Jesus and to offer people the free gift, the free gift of eternal life. Salvation is a free gift. It cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. You will not get it by going to church. You will not have salvation by water baptism or partaking of the Lord's Supper. You will have salvation by belief and trust in Jesus alone. First, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the message of the church. It is a free gift, world. It is a free gift, world. Come and experience the grace and mercy and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as John would say in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, the spirit and the bride. In other words, he's saying there, this is the message of the Holy Spirit, and this is the message of the bride of Christ. Come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life, look at the last two words. What does it say? Without cost. Without cost. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation is a gift when you open your heart and you say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to please forgive me. Please come into my life. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. And he doesn't say, well, what are you going to do? How much money are you going to give? He doesn't say none of that. He comes into your life. And he forgives you of all your sin. And he gives you new life in Christ. It's that simple. By believing and trusting in Christ. The only cost, if you want to call it a cost, is this, this, okay, there's a cost. The cost is surrendering your heart and your life to him. And that's the crux of the matter. That's the difficult part for us humans. Because we want to do things our way. We want to, we want to do things our way. We want to, we have our minds made of how we want to live. But it's salvation. We bow to his lordship. And we surrender our life to him. So there is a cost. You surrendering your heart and surrendering your life, but no good works. Verse 11. Verse 11. He says, In whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it, and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. Verse 13. And if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. So here, notice there's two phrases in verse 11 and verse 13 I want you to see. In verse 11, Jesus says that phrase, who is worthy in it? Talking about the city or the house. And then in verse 13, he says, if the house is worthy. What is he talking about here? He's talking about, as we evangelize, he's talking about those who have open hearts and that are willing to listen. See, Christians... We give of our time, our energy, our ministry, our prayers, ministry to people. We give of that time to those who have open hearts. You know, sometimes people have a closed heart and they don't want to listen to it. You know, and so we find people, we invite people. Hey, do you want to come and learn about Jesus? Hey, do you want to come and learn more about the Bible? And people say, yeah. So we're like, yeah, well, come on, man. Let's study the word together, man. Let's find out more about who God is. We invite people to come in and learn about more of who Christ is. And those people are worthy of ministry. Those people are the ones that we say, praise the Lord. They're worthy 
their, their hearts are open, let's invest in them. Let's invest our time, our talents, and treasures to, to discipling. And for the others, we pray for them. We pray for them, and we love them, and we encourage them along the way, hoping that they'll come back around and, and want to uh, be ministered to. And we always do it in the spirit of love, in the spirit of grace, in the spirit of truth. Verse 14, continuing that thought of verses 11 through 12, Jesus says in verse 14, And whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. You know, not everyone, not everyone's going to accept our message, okay? Not everyone's going to accept your message when you tell them about Jesus. But here's the deal. Don't let their rejection of the gospel affect you, okay? Be faithful. Leave the results up to God, okay? You just be faithful in serving the Lord. You just be faithful in witnessing, and you leave the results up to God, okay? I came to Christ in 1992. October of 91, I left for a deployment, came home six months later. The Lord had been dealing with my heart, and I was feeling convicted of my sin, and I was on the verge of salvation, but I hadn't got saved yet. I think it was around March, because it was right in the springtime of 92, I was in the Navy. I was on, on, on the carrier Eisenhower, and we pulled back into port, and I was heading down to Virginia Beach to blow off some steam like a 21-year-old sailor would do, okay? I wasn't going down there for good reasons. I was, I was heading to the bar. I was heading to the club to do things a sailor does on a Friday night. And I'll never forget, I was walking down um, Ocean Boulevard in downtown Virginia Beach right by the shoreline, and I was heading to the bar, heading to the club. And I remember there was a young man out there handing out gospel tracts. And I was like, oh, boy. So I knew I had to walk past him. I can't cross the street and go around him. And, but I remember watching this young man. He was probably 16 or 17 years old. And I could tell he was nervous. And uh, he, he extended that gospel track to me. And I, I wanted to be nice, so I took the gospel track. And he went to, like, say some words to me. And I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm good. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'll read it later. And I stuck it in my back pocket. And I, and, I, and I stopped him from witnessing to me. I stuck the gospel track in my, in my back pocket. I went on about my business that night as a sailor. And then later that weekend, I read that gospel track. And it just drove me to my knees. It was a sign from God that I needed to get saved. It was shortly after that, about two or three weeks later, that I visited this church. I heard the gospel and completely surrendered my life to Christ there around May, June of 1992. But that young man standing on that sidewalk who gave me that gospel track, he doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know what happens. All he saw was my rejection. Don't say nothing. I don't want to hear it. But now, if he only knew that that young sailor that he handed a gospel track today to is now a pastor... It's beautiful. That's the power of the gospel. And that young man just needs to continue to be faithful in serving Christ, handing out gospel tracts, witnessing to the lost. Don't ever underestimate the power of your witness. Don't look at people's response to the gospel and say, oh man, they rejected. No, it don't work that way. It don't work that way. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world today. And when we witness, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of what? 
What does Jesus said? I think it's in John 14. Uh, I think it's there. Somewhere in John 13 or 14. He brings uh, conviction of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit works. Okay? The Spirit works. So, whoever does not receive you nor heed your word, you go out of that house of the city, shake the dust off. If you experience rejection, just brush it off. No, God is faithful. Lord, you work on that heart. You're omnipotent. You're omnipresent. You'll work on them. I'm going to go on about my business. All right, verse 15. Okay, verse 15 is the most challenging verse in this whole entire portion of my text. And I'm just going to throw, throw this out there up front. As I was studying verse 15 this week, it shook me to my core. It shook me to my core. It made me look deep into my own soul. And uh, it just, I was like, whoa, it, it shook me. When I, when I thought about it and as I studied it, look at verse 15. Jesus said, truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. <laughs> Friends and family, what you need to understand is this. There are different levels of God's divine justice and different levels of God's divine judgments. And what Jesus is saying here in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus is saying here, judgment will be more severe for those who hear the gospel but never truly repent and trust in Jesus. Their judgment will be more severe than Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a greater judgment to, to, to put it in our terms, to, to hear the truth, to know the truth, but not appropriate the truth is the absolute worst mistake any person could ever make. Man, if, if you hear the gospel today, believe, trust, serve Jesus Christ I want to give you a quote from Octavius Winslow. This is, what, this is what shook me. This was like, wow, man. Octavius Winslow said this about 250 years ago, preacher in, in England. He said this, Throughout eternity, the lost soul will be testifying to this truth. People that step into eternity without Christ and perish. This is what they will testify to. God is holy. I was a sinner. I rejected his salvation. I turned my back upon his gospel. I despised his son. I hated God himself. I lived in my sin. I loved my sin. I died in my sin. And now I'm lost for all eternity. <clears throat> and God is righteous in my condemnation. I beg you, everybody listening, everybody watching online, if you are not a Christian, please come to your senses. Humble yourself. Trust in Christ. 
He loves you. He died for you. It's not his will that you perish. It's his will that you come to him. Check out in your studies 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. If you step into eternity without Christ and you perish in hell, you will have no one to blame but yourself. He loves you. He died for you. Put your trust in Christ. He does not want you to perish. Run to his everlasting arms and say, Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to live my life for you. You're not perfect. Well, guess what? I'm not either. None of us are perfect, okay? None of us have met that perfect standard. But Jesus has. And that's why we trust in him. Because he has met that perfect standard. And when you put your trust in Jesus, God looks at you not through the lens of your past sin and moral failures, but God looks at you through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you're completely forgiven. Put your trust in Christ. It is the most beautiful message on this planet. Trust in Christ. But for those who reject it and who turn their back, they are making their bed and they will lay in it. But it's not God's will. Go run to the Savior. He is mighty to save. He will forgive you. There's one Bible verse that your pastor disagrees with. And that's where Paul said, he told, where Paul said in the scriptures, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I like to say, no, Paul, you're not the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. You know, but he's mighty to save and he will deliver you and he will give you a new heart by trusting in him. Call upon him today. Let today be the day of salvation. Let's continue. Verse 16. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpent and innocent as doves. I love this verse. Yeah, oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was not coordinated. But I love this verse. This is an amazing verse. When, when, you know, what Jesus is saying here is that you and I live in a world that's hostile to Christianity. And we have to pay careful attention to how we live. Okay? You are a living epistle. I am a living epistle. And we need to go out into this world and represent Christ and represent him well. We are to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, meaning we live a life above reproach. We don't compromise our moral values. We are to be kind and compassionate to all people, especially those that oppose us. We don't return hate. We, we show people love. We show people kindness, even to the enemies of Christianity, even to those who oppose Christ. We show them love. We show them grace. And we show them truth. And we take every opportunity we can in this life to share Christ with them. So that's what it means to... Um, 
to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Verse 17. Now, when, when, I, taught, when I was looking at verse 16, verse 16, it depends on if you, if you teach it in context of the previous verses or in context of the verses after it. A lot of your, verse, a lot of your Bibles will, will divide up the chapter um, right before verse 16 or right after verse 16. But if you take verse 16 and you add it to verse 17 on, what, he, what Jesus is setting the stage for here with the, um, with the serpents and the doves is he's talking about persecution. He's talking about persecution, that you're living in a hostile world. But let's look at, let's look at it in verse 17 with the, with the thought of the, of the doves, the serpents being, being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Verse 17, he says, But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Verse 18, and you will even be brought before governors and the kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Christians um, in the first century and throughout the church age have been persecuted. They've been, the church, the body of Christ, has been persecuted by the world, by the ungodly government, and the religious establishment. Some laugh at this. Some laugh at this. Oh, they, don't, they don't get persecuted. They don't get looked down at. Some, some think that. Some wonder about that. Go down to Planned Parenthood and be a sidewalk counselor with moment of hope. Or let the world know you stand firm on marriage be, being between one man and one woman. Or tell people that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The world, the government, and the religious institution will give you the evil eye. They will give you the evil eye. And if given the opportunity, they will silence you. Okay? When you put your hands to the plow, don't expect the world to applaud. Because they're opposed to these things. But look at the beautiful promise for those in difficult times. Verse 19. People will be handed over before the courts. Look at the beautiful promise for verse 19 and 20. He's speaking to the disciples but this absolutely applies for today. Verse 19. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are going to say, for it will be given to you. In that hour, what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. There is a special blessing by the Holy Spirit for Christians who stand for their faith in difficult times. Because it can be hard. It can be hard to oppose the standards of the world. Our knees can knock. Our, our, our palms can become all sweaty and standing for the truth. It can be difficult. I've experienced those difficult times where things have been said this opposite of the Christian faith and I had to stand. But God promises a special measure. This is the comfort of it. God promises a special measure of his Holy Spirit for those who find themselves in difficult situations. He's saying, I will be with you and I will give you the words to speak. Be encouraged. Take, take courage. I'm going to speak through you in this situation. And then he continues. He's, he's talking about persecution. He's talking about you know, the world being opposed to, to the Christian. Look at verse 21. He says, Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, 
and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, the deception of Satan will even turn family members against each other. Families will be polarized. What do we do in those situations? We fervently pray and we love those who are deceived by the world. We fervently pray and we love and we serve those, even those people. We make them meals. We, we give them peace offerings, you know. We show them love, truth, grace, kindness, so that they'll see Christ in us and see the reality of the truth of the gospel. But even families will come against each other. Verse 22, he, he, Jesus said this. Look at this. Uh, verse 22, you will be hated. That's what he says. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. You will be hated by all. Why? What does the verse say? Because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. The ungodly world will hate truth. They will hate righteousness. And God who rules. Why? Because they are in darkness. And because they are in darkness, they will hate the Christian who speaks the truth and who calls out sin. So, friends, disciples, believers, when you feel the heat from the world, when you're standing for your faith, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit reminds you of this verse that we, that we studied. When you feel the heat of the world, remember these words Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name. And this is going to get progressively more and more as we get to the end of the age. It'll get to a point where if, if you believe the Bible, you're a racist, bigot, mean person. But it's because the world is opposed to godly standards. But as Christians, as disciples, we have to follow his word. Let's continue. Verse 23, our final verse this morning. Last verse that we're looking at. Beautiful verse. He says in verse 23, But whenever they persecute you in, in one city, flee to the next. <clears throat> I'm glad he didn't say stay and fight. <laughs> stay and fight, stand your ground. But if they persecute you in one city, get out of Dodge, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Whoa, let's read that again. You will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Is, is verse 23 saying Jesus would return to the earth in the first century during the life of the disciples? Is that what it's saying? A casual read uh, and not knowing all the scriptures, you would think that, um, wait a minute, Jesus didn't come. You know, that, that, what, what is this, preterism? Was this, he came back a long, long time ago? No, no, not at all. This phrase in verse 23, the phrase, the Son of Man comes echoes the language of make note of this so you can study it later daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 in daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 it speaks uh, there of the son of man coming to the ancient of days which is god the father to receive dominion glory and all authority Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. This was perfectly fulfilled 
at Jesus' ascension, when Jesus returned to the Father and sat at his right hand, I encourage you, it's a beautiful study. Look at this verse. Go back and look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, and you'll see this beautiful picture that after Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave. He ascended to the Father. What did he tell the disciples? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He receives all authority because your Lord and Savior that, that you serve, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father this very day. And he has all authority. He is our king. He is our Lord. He, uh, the son of man, has come to God the Father and God the Father has given him the authority over the church, over the world, and over the entire universe. He is our great God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in closing, here we are, 2023, I believe. I, I lose track. Of what, I had to ask my wife, what year are we in again? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but here we are, 2,000 years later. The call to go out and represent Christ and be a disciple it still stands today. Will you be a disciple? Will you represent him? How do we represent him? By, number one, going out and speaking the truth in love. Number two, by being a witness and telling people uh, about his greatness and his majesty. And then finally, being a disciple, being a witness, being an ambassador for Christ by sharing his gospel with the people that God brings into your life. He is an awesome God. Put your trust in Christ. Grab your Bible. Start listening to his voice. Read it. Grow. Be in fellowship. And, and, fo and follow the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this study in Matthew chapter 10. Lord, we take these words to heart. And Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would just work in each and every one of us, God. Help us to count the cost. Help us to trust you more, love you more. Commit our lives to studying your word and following you, Lord. For we love you and praise you. It's in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus I pray. Amen.